stumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five, what a
Good morning, my name is Jim Johnston and my pronouns are he and him. I'm a member of your Board of Trustees and it is my pleasure to welcome you to worship this morning on this Labor Day weekend at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia, where we are served by the Reverend Paige Getty and by a very talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. As we begin, I want to pay homage to the Piscataway people and their ancestors, for it is upon their land we in Columbia reside. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who are striving to keep us connected during these unusual and trying times and to provide meaningful worship services. And a special shout out to the tech team who has put in, I don't know how many hours, uh, to make these hybrid services work. Just last week, yesterday, we are working through a lot of the glitches that are making these services possible and successful. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests. I saw some in the chat who are watching the service today, and we hope that you will join us on these Zoom calls and also in person when we turn to services at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center in Columbia. So we have a chance to meet and greet you in person. And we have a couple of special announcements this morning. First off, we have been eagerly anticipating the return to in-person worship services in our beloved sanctuary. And the staff and the tech team, as I mentioned, have been working to prepare services at the sanctuary. Starting next Sunday, September 12th, one week from today, uh, we will start limited in-person services. Sadly, because of the recent spike in COVID cases, access will be limited and registration is required. So please check the link. You can click on that in the chat to learn more about the in-person services and to hopefully reserve a remaining seat when it is available for next Sunday. Also remember that we will continue to offer online worship right here on Zoom so that all may participate. It truly takes a village to raise a child, and with our children here at UUCC, we are looking for you to help by volunteering to help with religious education this fall. We are currently looking for congregants to serve on Sunday mornings as well as Sunday evenings. You can learn more about these opportunities for RE in the chat. And now we'll hear a special request from Amy Alforno on why you should consider joining a reflection group this fall. Thank you. Have a great day. Good morning. Amy Forno, and it's real easy for me to talk about the value of participating in a reflection group at UUCC. I've been a member of a group for the last nine years, having joined the first time when I came to UUCC in 2011. Over those nine years, I've met 
wonderful people whom I now call friends. In sharing in this safe, confidential, warm atmosphere, we get to know ourselves and we get to share our intellectual and spiritual journeys. It's been a wonderful experience for me. Over the past eight years, I've also been a facilitator for a reflection group. And in doing this service, I've gained in learning and uh, becoming aware of my own spiritual path. So I urge you to consider joining one of these very special groups. You'll get to meet good people and you'll get to know yourself better and you'll get to know them. Good morning, UUCC. Good morning, UUCC and friends here with us virtually. My name is Paige Getty. I use she, her pronouns, and it is a privilege and a pleasure to worship with you this morning. As Jim mentioned, we will be excited to welcome small crowds of worshipers in the sanctuary beginning next Sunday by registration only. But today, in addition to Michael and me and some of the staff members in the tech team, we have a tiny group of UUCC volunteers, board members and ushers and others who are testing the setup and other logistics in advance of others' presence next week. It is really wonderful to be in this room with you. And it will be even more wonderful to welcome more of you next week. A couple of housekeeping notes as we begin. Those of you who are with us online can find the order of service using the link in the chat if you'd like to follow along. Here in the sanctuary, you will find QR codes posted around so that the order of service can be easily accessed using a mobile device. Please email any joys and sorrows that you would like to have shared to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. And if you're here in the building, you may handwrite them on the podium on your way into the sanctuary, as was our tradition pre-COVID. And if you're a guest today, those of you online, please complete the visitor form so that we're better able to stay in touch with you moving forward. We would not be able to do this service without an extraordinary tech team, staff, and a large supporting crew of volunteers. So thank you, Liam and Tim and Richard and Chris and Graham and Jay and Zach and Sean and Hannah and Kim and Jen and Amber and all of you who make worship happen every week. Today and every Sunday, we bring our whole selves into this place, our heartache, our exhaustion, our grief, our pride, our enthusiasm, our joy. We bring the realities of our lives beyond the figurative walls of this space. The assaults on access to safe abortions, the loss of life and property from Hurricane Ida, the myriad experiences and joys and burdens of our children and educators who have recently returned to their classrooms. And we bring our attention of seasonal markers on this day, the sounds of high school marching bands on Friday nights, the hints of summer's end and autumn's beginning, and the observance of the Jewish High Holy Days beginning this week. So welcome with all of what you bring Settle in now, take a deep breath, and hear the sound of the bell 
calling us to worship. Today's service is inspired mostly by Labor Day as we honor work and workers and livelihoods and our interconnectedness through it all. But also Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year observance, begins tomorrow at sundown and lasts through Wednesday. So in honor of that sacred occasion, we begin this morning with this invocation written specifically for today by the Reverend Kristen Grassel Schmidt. The Jewish New Year commemorates the creation of the world, the bringing forth of order where once there was only chaos, the birth of the building blocks of life. As Jews among us and beyond us prepare to celebrate Rosh Hashanah tomorrow, let us celebrate, let us marvel, let us be awestruck because the same force that brought our planet into being, the same force that evolved tiny atoms and molecules and DNA into intelligent life, that same force is still at work in the universe and in us, always bringing about new creations. Breath of life, breathe in us, with us, and through us, this day. As we gather one in community, one in commitment to truth, love, and justice, open our minds and hearts for the new that's always being created within and among us. Come, friends, let us celebrate, let us marvel, let us be filled with awe. Let us worship together. And now I invite you all to join in singing as Michael leads us in hymn number 38, Morning Has Broken.
introduce the Afkinich Daniels family who is going to light our flaming chalice and dedicate it with words of Cesar Chavez. One, go. The fight is not about grapes or lettuce. It's always about people. All right. Thank you, Margo. This is Violet and I'm Jenny. Will you all now please join in speaking together our congregational covenant as we reaffirm these promises that we make to and with one another over and over again. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now those of you on Zoom are invited to unmute yourselves and greet your neighbors. And we in the sanctuary are gonna see your faces on the screen here, although we are not going to be audible. Good morning, morning everybody. Good morning. My name is Kelly Daniker. My pronouns are she and hers, and it is my joy to serve as the religious education assistant at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. So I have a really easy question for you this morning. I want you to raise your hand if you have ever played the game Monopoly. Anyone ever played, right? So like many of you, when I play, I always choose the same game token. I am always the thimble. Now I've been playing this game for a long time and it is so much a part of my, me and our culture I don't even think about it, I just play. As Monopoly is so ingrained into the fabric of our American lives, it seems fitting that it is a game about capitalism. It is a game about competing to buy property and building houses and hotels and amassing more and more money, all in an effort to bankrupt our challengers. It shows us the power of ownership and it shows us that far too often, 
our ability to become part of the ownership class is determined by an arbitrary roll of the dice. It is in many ways a fitting tribute to our current American capitalist system. It's also become abundantly clear that this system, the one that has been so ingrained in all of us is not working for too many American families. For too many, their fate is being determined by an arbitrary roll of the dice. For too many, the promise of America is out of their reach. And so I wanna use Monopoly this morning to help us maybe gain a better understanding of how this system might play out for a single mother with one child making a seemingly generous $15 an hour. So in Monopoly, everyone begins the same way with 1500 bucks. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna assume that our family of two begins with $1,888, which is approximately the monthly take-home salary for someone making $15 an hour, which will be the minimum wage in Maryland in 2025. Again, I'm being very generous. So the first thing we do in Monopoly is we roll the dice and land on a property. We try to find shelter. And so I'm gonna ask us how to roll the dice and not to make light of it so that we might embody sort of what this might feel like. And so we're gonna roll our dice and we have landed in Columbia, Maryland. Let's assume that our single mother is able to find help through subsidized housing program. And the cheapest she's gonna be able to find that for is $704 per month. So we're left with $1,184 for the rest of the month. Now a Monopoly, you don't have to budget for food, but our family of two does. And we're gonna conservatively set aside $100 a week, 400 a month for food. We roll our dice again, and we, and we know that we have to pay Waterworks and the electric company. And so you might remember in Monopoly when you land on one of those, it's another roll of the dice to see what you might owe. I'm gonna be generous and give our family a set price of $142 for electric, water, et cetera, which is the average in Columbia, Maryland. Let's not forget about our need to have internet access so that we can be part of the world so our children can have the tools that they need to learn. A conservative $60 per month for that. Now our family of two needs healthcare. Based on the Maryland Health Connection, our family can get coverage for around $100 a month after subsidies. Great. Let's roll again. We've landed on chance. Go back three spaces and we land on community chest and oops, our family has an emergency and needs a hospital visit this month. Their insurance will require a $100 copay upfront. You roll again, oh, you need a, a follow-up with your primary care doctor. $50 is approximately our copay. That leaves us $332. Now you'll notice I didn't mention a car for our family because the price of the car, insurance and gas would be out of their reach. So that means mom is depending on public transportation. And in Colombia, if she's lucky enough to have public transit that she can actually get to work with, that's gonna cost her $82 a month. 
We now have 250. Cheapest cell phone I could find, $35 a month. We're left with $215 to cover any other emergencies, clothing, school supplies, maybe some extra childcare to accommodate mom's work schedule. And if we're really lucky, maybe a little entertainment for the month, a way to enjoy the life that we're working for. Bear in mind, this is at $15 an hour when people in Maryland and across this country are making far less than that for minimum wage. For too many people, this current system is not working. Too often it is creating barrier after barrier, making it impossible for families to thrive. This has to change. I mean, even in Monopoly, there is a social safety net. You pass go, you collect $200. It's past time for change. And it begins with placing value on and giving respect to the work of these essential laborers. As former Democratic Texas Senator Barbara Jordan said, what the people want is very simple. They want an America as good as its promise. Happy Sunday, UCC. March can be won, can be won. Many stones can form and arch. Sing clean on, sing clean on. And by union, what we will can be accomplished still. Drops of water turn a mill. Sing clean on. Thank you, Michael. In a social media post just in the last couple of days, user Wyatt Nicholson displayed a photograph of two small children with this caption. A couple of eight-year-old girls working in a textile mill in Tifton, Georgia in 1909. The smiling girl on the right is Eddie Young, one of five siblings working in the mill for less than a dollar a week after their father died. The labor movement stopped this practice. Workers were killed in strikes for overtime pay and weekends and medical leave and children in school instead of in the mill, in case you forgot what we celebrate this weekend. It's a good reminder that this long weekend, what has become a marker of the end of summer and a return to a sort of routine grind, originated as a recognition of that labor movement of organizing and power building on behalf of workers who deserved not to be worked to death, but to live. On behalf of children who deserved to have childhoods of learning and play until they were older when they would need to work to help feed themselves and their families. A labor movement that demonstrated the power of collective bargaining, of interconnectedness, of acting together for the good of the whole. It's like the words of Cesar Chavez that we heard from Margot earlier when her family lit the chalice. It's never about grapes or lettuce. 
It's always about people. This morning, we honor workers and the work that we workers do. And that means we honor all of us, each with a unique identity as a worker, whether that work is of the hands or of the mind, whether it's paid or not, whether our job is defined by ourselves or by an employer or by the circumstances of our lives. In the spirit of Labor Day, I've chosen two readings this morning that celebrate our labors in different ways. The first is words of Khalil Gibran, as adapted for the Unitarian Universalist collection, Lifting Our Voices. Gibran writes, you work that you may keep pace with the earth and the soul of the earth. For to be idle is to become a stranger unto the seasons and to step out of life's procession that marches in majesty and proud submission towards the infinite. When you work, you are a flute through whose heart the whispering of the hours turns to music. Always you have been told that work is a curse and labor a misfortune. But I say to you that when you work, you fulfill a part of Earth's furthest dream, assigned to you when that dream was born. And in keeping yourself with labor, you are in truth loving life. And to love life through labor is to be intimate with life's inmost secret. You work, this prophet says, because to be idle is to become a stranger. When you work, you fulfill a part of Earth's furthest dream. The sentiment is, of course, sentimental. Not all work, probably not even most of what we usually think of as work, feels like a dream, like access to life's inmost secret. Too often, it feels like drudgery, like pouring oneself out into the world with little meaningful return. And yet, as poet Marge Percy suggests in her poem, To Be of Use, many of us do long for, quote, work that is real. The work of the world is common as mud, Percy writes. Botched, it smears the hands, crumbles to dust. But the thing worth doing well done has a shape that satisfies, clean and evident, Greek amphoras for wine or oil, Hopi vases that held corn are put in museums, but you know they were made to be used. The pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. In preparation for today's service, I read and listened to several different pieces about the current state of the so-called labor force. I read an opinion piece written by a Canadian service worker who left the restaurant industry during the pandemic and intends not to return. I listened to a podcast episode about the great American labor shortage. I listened to a summer episode of NPR's The 1A about those who are moving to a four-day work week and asking questions about whether that's a viable possibility for more of us. And in all of those pieces, an underlying message, or at least a takeaway for me, 
was about the broadly held desire, the need for work that is real. To have lives that are not wholly consumed by work, work that lacks meaning and fulfillment, or worse, is rife with abuse and disrespect and mistreatment. It's not that a job needs to be wholly fulfilling. Rather, that our work needs to be but one reasonable part of our lives, leaving space for other meaningful living, experiences, relationships, creativity, adequate attention to our bodily and mental health. In the 1A broadcast, one of the guests reminds listeners that the idea of a four-day work week is not new. He read to us a headline from the Sunday New York Times dated in September of 1956. Nixon foresees four-day work week. Vice President Richard Nixon, who was campaigning for re-election that year, predicted a, quote, fuller life for all Americans. He said, this is not a pipe dream, but rather a simple projection of the gains made over the last four years. He said, our hope is to double everyone's standard of living in 10 years. And that standard of living would be evidenced in higher wages and shorter hours. Less work, more leisure. That was the American dream in this case. One of the other guests in that same broadcast is the co-founder and chief executive of a company that has moved to a four-day work week. And that's not four longer days. That's four eight-hour days, 32 hours a week for the same pay. She speaks of the concept of deep work and of adjusting the company culture so that workers are engaged in more effective and efficient ways. Not only are they on average working less, but they are producing more. There's a lot of commentary in all these pieces about what the pandemic has revealed to workers and employers, how clarifying it's been to be laid off, to be forced to consider different options, to be free, assuming of course that one has at least the basics of food and shelter, to explore new possibilities. In an opinion piece for the Canadian publication, The Globe and Mail, writer Lori Fox says this, I was a server for 15 years. When the pandemic struck, I was one of millions of food service workers who were furloughed as the world shut down. I'm also among those who chose not to return to the industry when things began to open back up. I am one of your missing service workers. Let me shed some light on the so-called mystery of this labor shortage. With an abysmally low rate of pay, bad and often erratic hours, no sick days, near constant sexual harassment, racism, sexism, and queer phobia, working in service sucks. And yet, that hasn't stopped the pundits, she says, and even some restaurateurs from decrying our lack of good old-fashioned work ethic and blaming the government dole for keeping us from returning to our rightful place, tableside, making them money and waiting on our betters. What has been said about us that the Canada Emergency Response Benefit has kept us from re-entering the workforce, that we are lazy and unambitious, that we simply don't want to work is ridiculous. 
It's also indicative of the way much of society thinks about working class bodies as expendable, interchangeable, replaceable parts of a capitalist machine over which it has ownership. Some people not only feel entitled to our labor, but to pay as little for it as possible. Let's be clear then, she says. It's not that we don't want to work. It's just that we don't want to work a physically demanding job in substandard conditions without benefits for minimum wage. And we especially don't want to do that during the rising fourth wave of pandemic. A study published earlier this year found the risk of death during the pandemic increased 40% for food and agricultural workers in California. Some of your so-called missing workers aren't missing, they're dead. Fox goes on to reflect that the emergency unemployment benefits, also of course criticized by some people here in the United States and blamed for causing workers to be lazy and unwilling to work, allowed some workers the time to reflect on how they were living, how they were being treated, how they weren't earning a living wage. And the wages part is a big deal especially when exploring how better to live and work, how to work to live. Fox asks her readers, why work for what you can't live on? Any wage that isn't a living wage is a poverty wage. She says many former restaurant staff found other jobs during the shutdown. One server friend of mine took a better paying and safer position in retail management. Another started a successful photography business and a third found work as a teacher. Freed from the grind, these workers suddenly had the time and space to move into other positions that suited them better. Some workers, as Fox says, benefited from the forced separation from the grind. Not everyone did though. Remember what she said earlier in that essay, what has been said about us that we are lazy and unambitious, that we simply don't want to work, is ridiculous and indicative of the way much of society thinks about working class bodies. Expendable, interchangeable, replaceable parts. There are some local workers right here in Howard County who may be feeling the same thing right now. Members of Unite Here Local 7, which represents hospitality workers in hotels and gaming and food service throughout Maryland, is organizing. I'm still learning the details, but as I understand it, several dozen of these workers were employed in the Sheraton Hotel in Columbia's town center and were laid off when the hotel closed for renovations last year with assurances about their jobs being available to them again when it reopened. Now, as the hotel prepares to reopen under new ownership, the workers have been expecting to be offered their jobs back. Instead, they're being invited to reapply for their jobs, which is not the same thing. They've turned to PATH, people acting together in Howard and to local elected officials, asking that we join in solidarity with these laborers who are asking for their employers to treat them with respect and fairness. So I invite you to pay attention and stay tuned for more news 
about how we might act in solidarity with them. Writer and activist Adrian Marie Brown recently reflected that since the beginning, COVID has asked one thing of us, act collectively. She says collective action is still made up of individual choices, which is the beauty and the bane of our species, especially in the colonized capitalist borders of the US. Even in the face of policy and punishment, the American way is to choose individual thinking and action under pressure, to fight for superiority on any hill. The focus on dominance over the living rather than partnership with life is how we have racism, rape culture, climate catastrophe, economic disparity, war and disease, all in rampant disaster states at the same time. We must act collectively, make choices that benefit more than just oneself alone, join our resources and power for the betterment of all. That is the story and power of this holiday act collectively. I'm not interested in romanticizing labor or work. I'm interested in honoring our work and our labors, in partnering with life, as Adrian Marie Brown says, in urging us all to expand our perspectives, making choices that allow for possibilities, enhancing our capacity for leisure, for life, for living, so in that spirit, I close this part of the service with the second reading. This one, part of a poem by Wendell Berry from his Sabbaths series, dated 1979. It's much like a prayer, so I invite you into an attitude of listening and reflection. I climb up through the field that my long labor has kept clear. Projects, plans unfulfilled, waylay and snatch at me like briars. For there is no rest here where ceaseless effort seems to be required, yet fails. And spirit tires with flesh because failure and weariness are sure in all that mortal wishing has inspired. I go in pilgrimage across an old fenced boundary to wildness without age, where in their long dominion the trees have been left free. They call the soil here Eden, slants and steeps hard to stand straight upon even without a burden. No more a perfect garden, there's an immortal memory that it keeps. I leave work's daily rule and come here to this restful place where music stirs the pool and from high stations of the air fall notes of wordless grace, strewn remnants of the primal Sabbath's hymn. This Labor Day, may each of us leave work's daily rule 
and come to a restful place of wordless grace that we all may truly live. Blessed be. Amen. And now, Michael, thank you for your labor, for the gift of the music it brings. Thank you all for sharing and sacrificing the gifts of your own abundance for the good of this congregation's work in the world. On the screen, you'll see how to contribute electronically. And if you're here in the sanctuary, you may place your contributions in the basket at the back of the room now or later as you depart. Your offerings will now be freely given, gratefully received. going to take a few moments to honor the joys and sorrows that have been shared this morning. Here in the sanctuary, Michael is going to place a stone in our communal bowl of water, representing the way each individual life and story ripples out and touches all of us in community. After the time of prayer and reflection during the music meditation, for the worshipers who are here in person, they will be able to walk past the chancel table and again engage in that embodied ritual themselves without speaking, but placing stones in water. But for now, what you have shared today.
And finally, one last stone for you and all that you're holding in your heart. Know that we hold you too in love. Thank you, Michael. And now I invite you into prayer and reflection. Holy Spirit of love and of life, may we be held in an embrace that encourages us, that offers hope, that reminds us that we are not alone. Whatever we are facing, we are not alone. We are especially grateful today for healing, for new unions, for deep love. We hold tenderly those that we remember whose lives are gone though their lives impacted each of us. And we offer prayers of healing for those who are fearful and suffering and worried. May each of us have the strength we need for whatever comes. And now let us share a few moments of stillness and quiet. Amen. Blessed be.
I keep the camera panned out, I'm going to ask the tech team to come up here on the chancel with me, which means all of you out there on Zoom don't misbehave because they're coming up here. They're not going to be at the computer for two seconds. So you can cheer for them and see them all as a group. And I don't know, we need to shower them with dollar bills or something, but I don't have any. But we're going to bring them up so you can all see them in one camera view. There really are no words for this group of people. And you know what? You don't have to be quiet in the sanctuary. <laughs> Thank you, guys. them get back to their places. So we close our service today with words of artist Kai Skye, titled Active Imagination. Whether you are one who walks with bare feet on the earth and loves things done carefully by hand, or one who hears the way the high crystal songs of crickets call down the heat lightning in the thick summer, or one who moves lightly through the world like the shadow of fast-moving clouds. No matter what sits at the heart of you, never forget that who you are is an act of imagination. Amen. Be well, UUCC. See you next week.
To our loved ones and families, we bring more than a paycheck. To our loved ones and families, more than a paycheck. To our loved ones and families, we bring more than a paycheck. To our loved ones and families, we bring more than a paycheck. To our loved ones and family, I wanted more. But what I've got here today is more than I bargained for. When I walk through that door, I bring home asbestosis and silicosis for long, long, black, long disease. And radiation hits the children before they really been conceived. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and family. More than a paycheck to our loved ones and family. I wanted more than a paycheck. But what I've got here today is more than I bargained for. When I walk through that door, I bring home asbestosis and silicosis for round, long, black, long disease. And radiation hits the children before they've really been conceived. We bring more than just a little bit You're bringing more than a bring it more, more. more. Cause it's important that you know That whatever job is the fear That disease will take its toll If not disease and injury My Lord, maybe for your lot And if not injury, then stress Is going to tie you up in knots So we take home more than a paycheck To our loved ones and Family, 
education hits the children before they've really been conceived. More than just a little bit of knowledge, bringing more than just a little bit of knowledge. But I don't want to know. Don't accept no more. Or tell them more.